0: Let's go to the Word of God this morning. We've sang the Word, we've uh, read the Word, we've prayed. Now let's preach the Word as God has commanded us to do. Last week we looked primarily at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're new to Northwest Baptist Church, we, we preach through the whole books of the Bible one verse at a time. And last week we were in verse 17 where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is calling out the error of the Corinthian church. And what they were doing is they were putting an emphasis on who baptized them by their favorite celebrity apostle and also by putting an emphasis on the preaching of the gospel with eloquent words of wisdom thinking that they could they could wow people into the kingdom by the best speaker. And Paul was saying by doing that you are making the cross empty of its power. It was not the baptism of certain apostles who brought this church together nor their speaking abilities. It was the grace of God through a crucified Jesus who rose again from the dead. And the reason you don't have to place such an emphasis on this, Corinthians, is revealed in verse 18. Because there's something else that unifies the church, and of course we all know it's the gospel. In verse 18, he continues his argument of why what they were doing is foolish of trying to wow lost people with great speaking abilities or um, the baptism of the apostles. He says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 18, we find two different kinds of people. One, we find that there are those who are perishing. And secondly, we find that there are those who are being saved. Those who are perishing think that the message of the cross, the word of the cross is foolishness. Therefore, Paul's point in context here is that no level of oratory skill will genuinely save a lost person. No amount of celebrity status will save them. The only thing that could save is the word of the cross. I'm reminded not that long ago, I forget exactly what church is, some mega church around, I think in New York City or wherever it was, bragged that Justin Bieber had just become a member of their church. And they were using that to kind of lure people in like that meant something. They were falling to the same Corinthian trap as well. Here, the only thing that can save a person is to give them the word of the cross. For to rely on oratory skill is to, to, in order to save the lost, would be the same thing as this. If you were to throw an anchor to a person who's drowning in the middle of the ocean and expect them to be rescued. Or if you were to give a gallon of gasoline to help someone fix their flat tire on their bicycle. Or if you were to give a football to a golfer so that he could hit a hole in one. That's foolish. And this is what Paul is saying. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. None of these external man-made things will help accomplish God's purposes in the end. Why? Because lost people think that the gospel is stupid. And so in order for you to kind of convince them by your skill or entertainment and think that you're genuinely going to convert their soul is a lost mission. And Paul's point there, it is only the power of the cross, the word of the cross. And that word word is used intentionally there because earlier he says, remember the word of wisdom Eloquent words of wisdom, same word logos is used there. And now he's complying the word of wisdom to the word of the cross. The cross is the dynamite of God to save people. Without the spirit of God and the word of God, you cannot have genuine salvation. So therefore, those who are perishing think that the cross is foolishness. The word perishing means to be destroyed or to be lost Or to be corrupted. Now, I don't want to bore you with Greek grammar. But it is so important to understand. Because English, even though I love English, I speak English. It's really not a precise language. We have the same words in English to convey different things. I love my dog. I love my wife. That better be a different kind of love, right? (laughs) I love the Yankees. We won't go there, okay? (laughs) It should be a different kind of love. In Greek, there's multiple words for love, depending on what you love or who you're loving. And so when you get to New Testament Greek, you have to understand that the structure and the grammar and the tense, because that unveils so much more meaning here. And this word perishing is, uh, and this will take you back to your English class, right? Whenever the last time you took an English class. This word is actually a present passive participle. What does that mean? It is describing the verb. It's saying a present participle is something in the present that had a beginning in the past, but now has continuing results. So it's an event in the past with continuing results. So, what is Paul saying here? Those who are perishing did not begin perishing today. They already started perishing, and their perishing is seen continually today. And that's important if you keep listening. The perishing that began in the past continues today. It began, as we know, as the scriptures say, when we are born in our mother's womb. From our mother's womb, we are born sinners. We are born underneath the judgment of God, needing a savior. We are born with death at our doorstep. Because we have inherited Adam's guilt, the wages of sin is death. From our mother's womb, we are born as perishing people. And we will continue to perish as long as we live as sin wastes away our bodies and our souls. Sin has a devastating effect on humanity. We come out perishing. We're born capable of death. Without being a sinner, that wouldn't be possible. We're born in that state. That is a past event that goes back to the garden. Now, God And Adam has has passed death unto all of us because all have sinned. And as we live our lives, we live our lives as perishing people. We live our lives with bodies that decay, don't we? With bodies that break down and get diseased and fall apart. (laughs) We are perishing people. That began in the past, but it has a continuing aspect as we live our lives. We have witnessed this destructive power of sin in the lives of lost people, or even in your own heart, as people's hearts grow darker and harder before God. The gospel has a hardening effect on some. People's sin becomes more and more heinous and vile. Have you seen that? Why? They're perishing. They're continuing to perish, something that already began in the past, is continuing today. People's sin pollutes their minds and bodies with devastating results. And society as a culture of a whole, things that were things that weren't even tolerated 15 years ago, or now, hey, if you don't accept this, you're a bigot. You're a, you're a hypocrite if you don't go with the program. You're on the wrong side of history. Things a society and a culture would have said, no, that's not right. Now as a culture, now it just says acceptable. Why does that happen? Because sin has a perishing effect on humanity. We could say that those who reject the word of the cross are born in a perish state live today as they continue to perish, and one day will perish forever. You see, lost people have a beginning. They live in the present, but they also have a future. Those who die without Christ have eternal death. They have eternal perishing. And this is the great travesty that we see and the bad news that God sets forth in order for us to understand the good news. Now I say all that to say because Paul is contrasting two different kinds of people here. Though the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So do you think you're going to come up with some innovative program to convert their soul? No. But there is another group of people. Let's look at the second group. Paul says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The word of the cross. Here's the word of the cross. For one group of people, it's stupid. It's foolishness. And I have family members that have told me that as I've shared Christ with them. I have friends and neighbors and people in my life that I love dearly, that think that the gospel is nothing but a fairy tale. Yesterday, I even shared something like this about the wrath of God on Facebook. And, you know, on Facebook, when you share something, you you see the people who kind of share things that you shared, and then the people that comment on the things that you shared type of thing. And one of my friends in Pennsylvania shared that message yesterday about wrath, and I saw somebody commenting on that about, Oh, Christians have believed this for a long time. There is no wrath of God, is what this person commented. You have to understand who the historical Jesus is, not the Jesus that the Christians believe that are in the Bible. I looked at that and I said, oh, Lord, what an example of the word of the cross being foolishness to those who are perishing. But this group, the other group, but to us, here's Paul's including the Corinthians, to us believers who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's something different that happens in those who hear this word of the cross. And it's the power of God to save them. To save them. The question becomes because that's an interesting word, right? Saved. Sometimes I think we throw that around and we really don't understand what that means. I'm saved. Here's my question for you. Saved from what? Saved from what? Is what I want to ask you. If you're going to be saved, you have to be saved from something. If not, why did you need to be saved to begin with? If I see a car coming at you in the street and I push you out of the way, I just saved you from getting hit by a car. If you're drowning in the ocean and I jump in and haul you back to shore, I saved you from drowning. The question becomes, from what is a Christian saved from? Well, the context tells us perishing. We're saved from perishing. But let's go deeper into that. Many would just say, Well, I'm saved from hell. I'm saved from going to the lake of fire. And although that has truth in it, it's not the whole story. You're just not saved from going to hell. Let's be clear about that. That's not what the scriptures say. Even though it is true, those who die without Christ will wake up, to, like Jesus says in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, in hell. And of course, at the great judgment, at the end, at the final judgment, hell delivers up its dead and those are cast into the lake of fire. So we know that. We know that we, if we die without Christ, we go to hell in the lake of fire. But Christians act as if hell has any power in itself. Hell has no power over you. Hell has no power over those who live there. None. Hell is a location. We're not saved from hell as if hell is some person that we must be delivered from. No. And let's be clear, because there's another misconception. The devil doesn't live in hell. Tom and Jerry's wrong, okay? Okay. Some people think that the devil is in charge of hell, like he's the king of hell, and he's just waiting to have more people come there. No, the devil is not in charge of hell. In fact, he's never spent a day in hell. The Bible says that he goes to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he may devour. The book of Job, God asks him, where have you been? Here and there on the earth. The devil will be cast into the lake of fire one day. He's not the king of hell. He's not the, um, uh, the owner of hell. Hell has no power. We're not saved from hell. Then what are we saved from? The way the Bible puts it is we are saved from God. We are saved from God. And you're saying, what in the world? Yes, when God saves you, He saves you from Himself. This is what the Bible says. We are saved by God from God. Saved by God from God. And this is what the Bible says when it speaks of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the righteous anger of God that is necessary because God is holy and a God of justice. We are saved from God, a holy, just judge who has every right to punish the wicked, who has every right to condemn those who have rebelled against his holy character and nature and law. He is God, he sets the rules. He is the creator of the universe, the Holy One. He is magnificent and marvelous and awesome. And one day, sinners are held accountable because of who God is and what God has said. And when someone is cast into hell or the lake of fire, it is God who sends them there. It's what the book of Revelation says. They are cast alive into the lake of fire which burns forever forever with fire and brimstone. This is the way the scriptures speak. Jesus says in John chapter 3, in verse 36, or John writes in John chapter 3, after Jesus talks with Nicodemus, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. So if you believe, no wrath. If you don't believe, the wrath of God remains on you. Remains since when? Since the day you were conceived in your mother's womb. When Adam's sin has been passed on to you. The wrath of God remains on you. And it is that wrath that holy justice that God has the right to execute on judgment day on all those who do not believe. Paul says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Keep on sinning, all lost person. Keep on sinning. Sin is pleasant for a season. But you are storing up wrath. As if wrath is this big cup or bowl that every time we sin, we just keep adding to that bowl and adding to that and adding to God's wrath. One day that bowl will be spilled on you. That's what the scriptures say. You're storing up wrath. This is what we're saved from. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says it literally. Let's read it. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. In 1 Thessalonians 1, through 9-10, Paul tells the Thessalonians... For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yeah, what are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. That's what you're saved from. And as a result, yeah, we don't go to hell. Praise God. Can I get an amen? amen? Because hell is a place where the wrath of God is poured out nonstop forever. Eternity with no end in sight. And you're saying, how can a loving God, how can a loving God do that forever? Because our God is holy and just and to sin against an infinitely holy and awesome God. There is no amount of payment that is, is, is sufficient for sinners to offer God. There is not enough time for our crime that we can serve. God saves us by himself, from himself. And we could even say for himself because we belong to him. If you wonder if God's wrath is real, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason that the death of Jesus was so agonizing was not because of the method of torture, which was to be flogged until his skin was literally ripped off his body. It wasn't the method of death an execution which was to be nailed to a cross and suffocate from asphyxiation. It wasn't because the Romans were cruel. That's not what makes the cross so terrible. The Romans were trained experts in crucifixion and torture. What makes the wrath, what makes the cross of Christ so terrible is the wrath of God. For on that cross, Jesus died a sinner's death. Although he never sinned, he died in our place, brothers and sisters. And he took our wrath for us. All the wrath you had been storing up your whole life, God the Father took your bowl and poured it upon Jesus on that cross. That's what makes the cross so terrible. Not the physical torture, but the wrath of God being poured out on that cross. And because Jesus is righteous and holy and kept God's law, and He is God, the Son Himself, He satisfied God perfectly for the sins of all who would believe. And this is why he says, it is finished. And Jesus takes our wrath for us. The reason the cross was so excruciating was God's wrath. The reason hell will be so hellish is God's wrath. God's wrath. This is what being saved means. Do not minimize what it means to save you, brothers and sisters. We are saved by God, from God, for God. Now, I want to examine the second word that Paul emphasizes there that amplifies the word saved because it's so important and we cannot dismiss it. And it's the word being. Being. And he's saying, Dan, how can you preach on the word being? Then I would suggest that you don't know me very well. (laughs) Being saved, what does this mean? Well, it's important because it describes the nature of our salvation. For us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross reveals the state of time in regards to our salvation. Meaning, to understand our salvation, we have to understand it as an ongoing process in time. Listen to this. Salvation is not just something that happened to you in the past. Salvation is something that happened to you in the past with ongoing results. And yes, you guessed it. This word, being saved, is also... A present passive participle. I only said that 15 minutes ago, so if you forgot, don't, I'm sorry. But I remember the word perishing. It was an action that started in the past with ongoing results. People began to perish; they're still perishing. One day they will perish forever. The same can be said of our salvation. Salvation is not just something that happened to us one time and it's over. Like I got a ticket into the into the party, and now I'm in. No, salvation is something that happened in the past with ongoing results in the present and also in the future. This is what a participle, this present participle in the Greek conveys. We are being saved. Paul uses this exact phrase later on in 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Paul says to them there, this is the great resurrection chapter, that Paul answers their questions about the resurrection. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and look at verse 2, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here he says it. If, by which we are being saved. What are we being saved by? The gospel. The word of the cross is what he says in chapter 1. It's the same thing. Again, we have to understand that in relationship to our ongoing present results of when we were saved in the past, what that means today, and what that means for the future. And again, he's making a comparison, a distinction between those who perish and those who are being saved. Saved. How is our salvation continual? Let's talk about that for the next few minutes. We all remember a time in the past when we believed. Now, some people don't remember the time, the location, that's fine. The fact is that you believed. At some point, you believed. There was a day where you acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he died on the cross for your sins, and God raised him from the dead. You believed that and trusted in him. You believed, I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be good enough. I can't be moral enough. But I know whom I have believed, and I know what Jesus has done for me. And by this, I am born again and have become a Christian. We are saved by faith, by God's grace. We are saved by grace through faith. And the day that you believed in the past. Now for some of you here, you may not have believed yet. And we pray that today becomes your past in the future, if you know what I mean. That today, your present right now is the day that you believe. But let me explain this. When we are saved in the past, it's the moment that we put our faith in Jesus by his grace God saved us in that moment from the penalty of sin. We have been justified by God. This is the word that Paul uses again and again. Look at Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified there means to be declared righteous. That means we who were born perishing. The day that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we went from perishing to living. We went from dying to being resurrected. We went from the darkness and to the light. Why? Because God saved us from himself. And did not leave us in our sins to die in our sins so that we perish forever. And therefore, by our faith, when we placed our faith in Jesus alone, he declared us righteous based on the work of Christ and what he accomplished in his life and death and resurrection. This is what it means to be freed from the penalty of sin. that day, God forgave you of your past, present, and future sin. Because Jesus died on the cross for all of it. Even the sins that you haven't even done yet. Christ has covered them already. And God, (laughs) this is amazing. God chose us in spite of knowing all of that. In spite of knowing the people that we are. In spite of knowing that what we will do. God in Christ was satisfied By his death and resurrection to look at you and me who believe in Jesus and say you are now declared righteous. And I'm not going to hold you to the penalty of your sin. You and I believers will never have to be punished for our sins ever. Why? Because the Lord Jesus did on our behalf. And that's what it means to be saved in the past. In the past. Our salvation means that we have been freed from the penalty of sin. If I were to die today, if I were to die today and stand before God, all my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. He, hasn't, he will not punish me because he punished Christ. But look what Paul says. Since we have been justified by what? Faith. God, by His grace, awakens our hearts, causes us to be born again so that we can call on Him in faith and repentance and believe so that we can have peace with God and be saved from God. But not only is our salvation in the past, our salvation is also in the present. Right now, you're sitting in there, you are being saved. How is that, Dan? Because if... Justification is saving us from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is saving us from the power of sin in our current life. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Before you became a Christian, you may have been struggling in deep, dark sins. You may have had addictions or you may have other sins rooted in your hearts that you could not have any victory over. And that you lived in it and you loved it. And sin had like its grip on you. Like you had no control or power. And it was true. You had no control or power because you loved it. You loved it. Yet you didn't know you were supposed to hate it. You just loved it. But when God justified you, he then began something different. And this is what the Bible calls sanctification. Sanctification is being saved from the present power of sin. So the power that sin once held on me in my past is now being freed. It's being loosened. It's being let go of me in my life. That doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle with sin now. But sin no longer has the same control over me that it once did. And now God has enabled me by his spirit to repent and trust God and love God and turn away from my sin. And this is what A true believer does. A true believer is not someone who doesn't sin. A true believer is somebody who, when they do sin, they repent of their sin. Because God has given them, in Christ and the gospel, a hatred of their sin and a love for the Savior. And a love for the Spirit. And a love to obey God. And so we are being saved in the present. And how long does this last? Has anyone arrived yet? No. This will last our whole lifetimes. The whole life that we live after we are saved, God might as well put a sign on you that says, work in progress. Right? Under construction. Right? Because God, through sanctifying us, makes us, Christ-like. He is then transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he is saving us from our desires that we so desperately struggle with. And maybe our old flesh still wants to creep up and do. But God is saving us even from ourselves from falling, us into, falling into serious and deliberate sins. And yet we may go through times where we struggle and we fall and we do things we ought not to do. But even then, God, by his spirit, grants repentance to our hearts and saves us from ourselves not to leave us there. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we are saved from the penalty of sin. But as Christians, God is also saving us, present tense, from the power of sin. Where we loved the darkness and hated the light. Now we love the light and, Lord, help me to hate the darkness. Help me to run away and run to you. I didn't know that kind of power and love before. But God, keep transforming me. Keep saving me. Keep molding me. Keep growing me, God. Change me into the image of Jesus Christ. Help me to be as Christ-like as possible. That's what it means to be a Christian. Why does God just take me to heaven now? You're still being saved. God's not done with you yet. When he's done with you, yeah. He'll be done with you. And then you'll be with him. This is the message that Paul is giving the Corinthians in chapter 6. Look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, he, here he, again, he's dealing with serious sin. He's, he's dealing with them, uh, the people they used to be and now are no longer. And in chapter 5, they deal with a matter of church discipline about a man who was sleeping with his stepmother, and the church was ignoring it. And he's calling them to repentance, saying, What are you doing? And in chapter 6, he's reminding them that they're no longer those people and they ought to live like it. Live like they belong to Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's telling these Corinthians, such were some of you. You're no longer those people. You're no longer who those people who sexual morality and idolatry and adultery and homosexuality and thievery and greediness and and drunkenness or swindlers or being a con artist have any power over you. By the power of the gospel and repentance, you have freed from the power of that life to now obey God. You're no longer those people because God has declared you righteous. Now live like it. You are being saved. Some of those things may could still be present in your life. Repent. Turn from it. And turn to Christ. You're still going to struggle with sin. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that believers must know. Listen. We must never wave the white flag and surrender to our sin. Never. Never. We ought never wave the white flag, men, and say, well, I'm just always going to be a lustful person. So I'll just, that's who I am. I'm just going to keep looking at pornography or I'm going to keep looking at other women that I'm not married to. No. No. Don't wave the white flag. God is sanctifying you, freeing you from the power of sin now. To wave the white flag is to deny the power of the gospel in your life. Maybe you were a drunk before, and now you're really struggling with drinking and alcoholism. Guess what? You don't need to wave the white flag to being an alcoholic. Say, this is just who I am. No, you're not. Such were some of you. But Christ has freed you by his power. You don't have to surrender to sin because God is saving you now. He's sanctifying you from all that garbage. So our salvation is in the past. We have been justified, freed from the penalty of sin. God has saved us now in the present by freeing us and sanctifying us and saving us from the power of sin. And then there's a future. Amen. There's a future. We will one day be saved, and I can't wait for this day. I hope it's today. We will one day be saved from the presence of sin. We will one day be saved from the presence of sin. And this is what the Bible calls glorification. It's when our salvation is finalized. See, we're declared, in, we're, we're declared free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. But one day, there will be no sin. There will be no sin to wrestle with, to struggle with. It'll all be gone. All be gone. This will not happen until either we die as believers or until the Lord Jesus returns in his glory. We will continue to be sanctified. We will continue to be freed in our present from the power of sin. But one day, when this life is over... When history is over and all we have is the king of kings ruling and reigning over the whole earth and created order, and he makes all things new, we will look and see no sin anywhere. And then we will see what the gospel truly did for those who are perishing. Then we will see the grace of God to save people like us. Us? Us? God saved me? Yeah, you. Why? For his glory. For his glory. God saved you by himself, from himself, for himself. So he could show you off as a trophy of grace for all time. Look what I have done for my glory in these people. There is a future. There is a future. One day this body of sin will be gone. One day, I will never be greedy again. One day, I will never lust again. One day, I will never want to lie again. One day, all pride will be rooted from my heart because I will be completely made in the image of Jesus Christ completely in his holy character and his holy life. I will be fully Christ-like and so will you, brothers and sisters. This This is what Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 3 verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform our lowly body. No more pain. I know there's many of you that struggle with pain. No more sickness. No more disease. All gone. Why? Because all those things are present because we are sinners. It's the curse that Eve brought on this world. But one day the curse will be reversed. And God will be no more. will be no more. And we will be fully saved, not just in spirit and soul. Oh, I've told you before, heaven is not a place. The new heavens and new earth are not a place where we're floaty spirits playing harps on clouds. That's not heaven to me, sorry. The Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He will transform our bodies and create a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. And of course, John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, let this be assurance to you. 1 John is so much about assurance. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know That when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And so there is a future for us who are being saved. This present passive participle. Okay, maybe some of you learned that word or three words today for the first time. Present passive participle. It's passive because it's being done to us. It's a present participle because it's a past event with ongoing results. We were justified. We are being sanctified now. We will one day be glorified. For those who are perishing, the same thing. But in an opposite way, they are born perishing. They continue to perish. And one day they will perish forever forever. And this is why Jesus tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, right? That whosoever believes shall not perish. You don't have to perish. You don't have to die in your sins. You could be saved today. Let this today, your present, be your past salvation so that you will one day look back And say, God justified me, sanctified me. And one day he will glorify me. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. And let me just say, there's only two kinds of people in this room. That's it. You either are perishing. Or you are being saved. And it all comes down to one thing. What will you do with the word of the cross? What will you do with the word of the cross? That Jesus Christ took God's wrath that was destined for you and I upon himself and satisfied God the Father fully so that you can believe by his grace and be saved from God's wrath. Are you perishing? Or are you being saved? If you don't know, we want to talk to you. We want to help you figure that out. No one has promised tomorrow. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that because I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you because eternity is at stake. What will you do with the message of the cross? Are you trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? I'm not asking if you come to church or a church member a deacon, a teacher, I don't care. Do you trust in Jesus Christ alone and his finished work on the cross to save you? You either think it's foolishness or you think it's the power of God. Let's pray. Oh God, you know the kinds of people that are in this room and the ones that are listening online. You know the ones who are perishing. You know the ones who are being saved. God, help us to know the kinds of people we are. Let those who are perishing not be deceived that they're somebody else. I pray that they will get right with God. They would put their pride aside, repent of their sins, and believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved. If not, your word says they will face the wrath they've been storing up their whole life. But the good news is that Jesus has already taken the wrath of all who will believe upon himself. Thank you, God, for this glorious good news. For Christians in this room who are struggling with their journey and their walk, God, remind them of their justification. Encourage them in their sanctification. And God, encourage us all about our future glorification. For your word tells us that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. You began it in the past, you continue it in this present, and you will finish it in the future. Thank you, God. Thank you for our glorious salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. I love you all very much. I pray that you would respond to God's word honestly and authentically, and that you will be obedient to whatever the Spirit is leading you to do next. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn together. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week.